uh, from the collection of Crows Fly Backwards. Um, this is Eduardo Galeano's uh, True Contemporaries, uh, Art and Time. Who are my contemporaries? Juan Gelman asks himself. Juan says that sometimes he comes across men who smell of fear in Buenos Aires, Paris or anywhere in the world and feels that these men are not his contemporaries. But there is a Chinese who thousands of years ago wrote a poem about a goat herd who is far from his beloved and yet can hear in the middle of the night, in the middle of the snow, the sound of her comb running through her hair. And reading this distant poem, one finds that yes, these people, the poet, the goat herd and the woman, are truly his contemporaries. However hurt and shattered one may be, one can always find true contemporaries anywhere in time. Who are your true contemporaries? Please sit comfortably. I've carried Eduardo Galeano's Book of Embraces, uh, written in 1992, um, uh, with me um, almost since 1992. Um, and I've used his short prose pieces and sometimes prose poems and sometimes stories uh, for talks and tashos forever. And I still do, as well as recommending the book to everyone. Um, uh, I've even been known to buy copies um, people. Uh, it's a great book. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, in, it's, it's true dharma uh, through and through. Uh, Galliano's uh, angle on reality uh, accords with the dharma. And uh, in this short piece, uh, I'll just say something about Edwana Galliani himself. He lived from 1940 to 2015. He's a Uruguayan a journalist, writer and novelist. Uh, he's a champion of the left and he fought for the liberation of oppressed people in Latin America. Um, and Wikipedia is wonderful for this kind of detail. Um, among other things, he's considered to be uh, global soccer's preeminent man of letters. <laughs> it's kind of beautiful. Uh, and in his day, I guess Camus, Albert Camus, uh, who was also uh, a soccer a fanatic, as a young person would have been, uh, had a similar role perhaps. Um. So Galliano's angle on reality here accords with the Dharma, and uh, the sound of the beloved's comb running through her hair uh, is be a beautiful uh, image, and collapses um, the distance between her beloved, who's the goat herd, um, and uh, the poet who was writing about the, the goat herd and uh, Juan Gelman, who's Argentinian poet, uh, who, who is experiencing reading this, and then uh, Eduardo Galani uh, himself, who is reporting it at a uh, more recent time, and then, of course, all of us who are receiving it. So this is wonderful intimacy across time of this um, tiny little story uh, um, Gelman himself uh, was an important Argentinian poet. He's written some 26 books of poetry, uh, incredibly prolific. Uh, a brilliant journalist, 
um, as well as being an ardent, lifelong social activist. Um, he learned to read when he was three years old and spent much of his childhood uh, reading and playing soccer. You will be not surprised to hear that he also played soccer. Uh, he became an important journalist. Uh, he worked as a translator for the United Nations. Um, uh, after the 1976 Argenti uh, coup, in, a coup in Argentina, uh, he was forced into exile. Um, his son and his pregnant daughter-in-law, aged 20 and 19, uh, were killed. Uh, they became two of the 30,000 people who vanished uh, without a trace during the reign of the military junta. In 1990, Gelman was led to identify his son's remains, and years later, uh, he was able to trace his granddaughter, uh, born in a backdoor hospital. Um, uh, and the remains of uh, his daughter-in-law have never been recovered. So it's a f story which is also full of tragedy, uh, uh, incredibly dark and, and painful. Uh, we can understand, well, perhaps we can comprehend how he would have felt. Uh, but he continued his fight for freedom, uh, you know, even from exile. And uh, I think we understand why he may have been drawn to seek his contemporaries elsewhere in time as well. The moment is mysterious, arising from unknown depths. Uh, this moment is mysterious, uh, arising from unknown depths. This moment will never come again. We don't know in advance what the moment will be. Uh, and surely it doesn't come marked as past or present or future. Uh, the moment arises uh, unmarked uh, by tense. Uh, we say out of convenience that it is the present moment. Uh, but in a way, present moment, the term is a kind of convenient fiction because the moment itself is unbounded. And yet, uh, yeah, the moment is timeless, uh, yet in the same breath we experience it as fleeting. Uh, this moment will never come again. Uh, so this, uh, uh, this doubleness is everywhere around uh, time and how we experience it. Our remembering unfolds now. I mean, when we're remembering, we think, well, that's the past. But actually, uh, our remembering unfolds right now. Our planning unfolds now. Our anticipation unfolds now. Our regret unfolds now. Uh, our reflections on the past, as well as those on the future, unfold now. Which is to say, this very moment. Your whole life is this very moment, including your birth and your death. Uh, Dogen wrote concerning the moment, each moment is all being, is the entire world. And then he says, reflect now whether any being or any world is left out of the present moment. 
So however hurt and shattered one might be, one can always find true contemporaries anywhere in time. Uh, who or even what are your true contemporaries? Uh, trying to find true contemporaries might be interpreted as finding comfort, finding affinity, finding intimacy across time. Uh, in today's story, it is the power of art that makes this possible. And, you know, there are lots of 19th century and going back to the Greeks' arguments about the, the timelessness of art or of great art. Someone describes it in Proust as uh, platonic romanticism about art. But this is not quite the point uh, here. But there's something deeper uh, about this notion of true contemporaries, uh, which cuts deeper than art's ability to evoke feeling. Uh, if we're sceptical, we can read this as merely trying to escape the unsatisfactoriness of the present by retreating into nostalgia for the past. Uh, you know, that uh, is very associated with the Portuguese word saudade, which is uh, that kind of hopeless longing, that romantic yearning uh, for the past. Uh, um, which can you know, live to the hilt, uh, can gut uh, our life and cut us off from the sources of our life. Someone who would agree strongly with this is Joko Beck when she was alive. She says, writes rather, uh, in Nothing Special, in her book Nothing Special, most of our difficulties, our hopes and our worries are empty fantasies. Nothing has ever existed except this moment. That's all there is, and that's all we are. Yet most human beings spend 50 to 90 percent, I love the accurate figures, 50 to 90 percent of their time um, uh, in their imagination living in fantasy. We think about what has happened to us, what might have happened, how we feel about it, how we should be different, how others should be different, how it's all a shame, and on and on. It's all fantasy, it's all imagination. And then she says, this is great, memory is imagination. Uh, it can't get much more radical than that. Memory is imagination. And then she says, every memory that we stick to devastates our lives. There you have it. You know, we, we know about the unreliability of memory. You know, you just attend any court case, you know, and uh, listen to the witness. Uh, uh, even when memory is accurate, like, the question is, what were you doing on the morning of the 10th of May, uh, 1987? And the person says, well, actually, I had a conference that morning. <laughs> and uh, so even when memory appears to be certain, um, it's highly suspect. Um, so in a way, the unreliability goes in all directions. This is supporting uh, Joko Beck's position. Um, we know about false memory and how it can be exploited. Uh, we know that worrying about the past, about what is past and what is gone is fruitless. Uh, trying to fix the past is even more fruitless. 
So it's good, as Joker says, to let these go and move into the fullness of the moment. Uh, she wants us to create what she calls a bigger container, uh, where you pay attention to what's uh, happening now. So feeling resentment, uh, you open to that. Uh, feeling dissatisfied, you open to that. Feeling vexation, you open to that. Um, and she says, if you can't open to that, at least be honest enough to realise that you are not going to open to that. Okay, this is very clear teaching. Even if you're not going to go along with it, at least be aware that you have decided not to go along with it. Very slowly, uh, working that way, uh, we build that bigger container. We can hold more. You know, we can be in difficult and stressful situations. Um, and there is a measure of equanimity and largeness, at least some of the time. Uh, you know, perhaps with the bigger container, we are less inclined to lose it over small things. Uh, we take on uh, what is there. Um, and there is maturing and deepening that comes from this bigger container, uh, as she puts it. Uh, she's a, a really fierce and very direct uh, teacher, but she had a, she a, so many wonderful sides. She's deeply enlightened. Uh, she loved tennis. <laughs> And she loved to go to the, uh, the US Open with her student, uh, Larry Christensen, uh, who became a teacher in her tradition. And uh, when, she, when she died, he said these uh, beautiful words. He said, I just can't believe that Joko has died. I think she's just moved off to get a better view of the US Open. Yes, it's beautiful. And also stories about her and music because she was a fantastic pianist and teacher, piano teacher. And uh, one of her students, uh, you know, was with her and she enjoyed having a glass of beer with her students. So um, there are many, many sides to Joko. And uh, she put, uh, the student asked her if she, she would sort of explain the Goldberg variations, uh, you know, like, give him an introduction to the Goldberg Variations. So she put on the record and then she starts saying, well, here in this variation, um, the, 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 the actual theme is suggested in the bass and through the progression. And he said, she was doing all of this and tears were streaming down her face as she was doing it. Um, yeah. You know, memory, you know, in her terms, uh, to make the point, she makes it really strong, nothing but imagination. But memory is also uh, our means to transcend uh, dualistic notions of self and other, um, of subject and object, equality and differentiation, form and emptiness, absolute and relative, getting beyond all of these pairs, these um, oppositional pairs that we encounter in, in Zen uh, writing, uh, good and evil, uh, and on and on. So even memory itself uh, can be our means to step between the horns of those dilemmas and re realise our true nature. So she wants to build a bigger container, 
Um, there is other ways to build the, uh, the emptiness side is very important as well uh, in this whole matter of the bigger container. So memory is a Dharma gate, uh, no less than a ray of sunlight, uh, no less than the flowers on the altar, uh, no less than you, uh, each of us sitting here today in the brilliant sun. And, uh, there's a, a little story in the Women Kwan. Uh, this is uh, Feng Shui, uh, equality and differentiation it's called. So here's this pairing, the horns of the dilemma, you know. Um, so a monk asks the priest feng shui, speech and silence are concerned with equality and differentiation. How can I transcend equality and differentiation? Feng shui said, I always think of Changnan in March, partridges chirp among the many fragrant blossoms. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's just this lovely verse. Um, uh, Changnan is uh, the area south of the Yangtze River. In Tang times, it had beautiful scenery and a great many temples. It was fertile, extremely prosperous, and culturally incredibly rich. Um, in terms of the very philosophical monk um, here asking the question, uh, when he says, uh, speech and silence are concerned with equality and differentiation. Silence is associated with equality, which is associated with emptiness. Speech is associated with subtle differentiation. Speech is how we cut up the world into subject and object and uh, uh, make differences and make distinctions. Uh, all this is at the level of metaphor. But he's saying that speech and silence are concerned with equality and differentiation. Uh, equality, uh, fundamentally, uh, Buddha nature pervades the whole universe. Um, fundamentally, um, at the very deepest level, we are the same. Differentiation, uh, s subtly uh, different. Well, actually, very different looking around. <laughs> okay. this, uh, you, our differences are not being denied at all. Uh, each of you completely unique. So This is quite a mess philosophically, but he's saying, look, how can I get out of this mess? How can I get through this, uh, these questions? Um, and Feng Shui just says, uh, I always think of Changnan in March, partridges chirp among the many fragrant blossoms. Uh, they're not even uh, his words. They are attributed to a poet, great Chinese poet called Tu Fu. Um, just those, those words, just that memory. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, you know, the light through the window is it. Uh, the colours of the blanket are it. Uh, the flowers are it. So is the memory. Uh, just that memory. This is a more subtle level of operation in the Dharma. Uh, John Tarrant had these beautiful words for this. Uh, just that memory is it, he said. 
I remember Tasmania, end of autumn, the gales begin and old people die at the end of winter. Same point. Yeah, I remember uh, taking rice and vegetables to deserted houses and sitting uh, with uh, the car. Not this, not this. Uh, Moo does a better job these days, but um, it, it was the beginning of practice uh, for me. I had a 90-minute tape. When one, I had three bells at the beginning of the tape, two bells at the end. When the tape finished, I turned it over, so there were three bells, and then you sit 45 minutes, and then there are two bells, and you turn the tape over. I didn't know about Kinhin. Um, Kinhin was a huge discovery in my life. Uh, um, so, but I think it is important to take the initiative with practice. You know, the practice you do uh, out of your own initiative, not what... Uh, necessarily what comes from teaching or a book or anything like that, but finding your way uh, is so important. Uh, Taking the initiative. So I want to touch in with uh, um, Chokobek's point, um, especially as it concerns mindfulness. Uh, Mindfulness is so important. If you aren't mindful, you don't really have a life. Uh, if you don't pay attention uh, uh, to it, you actually, you, well, in some sense you have it, but um, you don't really have it. Okay? It's really, really important to, to be present. Um, uh, mindfulness is so important, especially when it is integrated into a spiritual path and uh, the spiritual paths that come down to us. Um, it's good if it's allied with compassion. Uh, In terms of Buddhism, including Zen Buddhism, uh, mindfulness puts us in touch with dukkha, uh, suffering. So you want to know suffering? Be mindful. Uh, You want to know resentment? You want to know rancour? You want to know regret? Uh, It puts you directly in contact with that. Uh, Let your attention hold whatever is there. Uh, mindfulness uh, done wholeheartedly um, also includes impermanence, evokes. We become aware of the impermanence of feeling, for instance, uh, the impermanence of what we think of as the self. Uh, really, really important. So, two aspects of uh, two of the three marks of existence uh, are included if you practice mindfully. You're experiencing impermanence on many levels and you're experiencing suffering and joy, you know, and enjoyment of life too. Um, But the third of those aspects of no self is not necessarily um, present or not necessarily gained from uh, mindfulness practice. Um, and the risk of mindfulness practice is that it tends to reify the observer. Um, there is someone who is aware, um, there is someone who is watching, 
There is someone who is noticing and there is something which is being noticed. Uh, like you feel grumpy. Oh, the sun is shining. Okay. So it is really, there is, from the deepest perspective, there is no observer. Um, and when you practice in this spirit, you are, you are practicing Zen. Uh, I remember doing um, a Vipassana retreat where we did spend two days with becoming aware of the breath, two days of becoming aware of sound, two days of becoming aware of sensation, two days aware of becoming of feeling, two days of being aware of thinking. I think that's ten days. Um, and on the last uh, day, uh, the person who was running the retreat um, so reviewed what we had done and he said, are there any questions? And a girl stood up at the back and said, yes, we have been aware of all of this, but who is the one who is aware? And with that question, Zen practice begins there. It's incredibly important to be aware of breath and sound and sensation and feeling uh, and thought. But who is the one who is aware? And uh, Zen begins there. The reality is in terms of memory, uh, each memory itself is uh, uh, opens to eternity. It is timeless. Uh, the humiliating memory that wakes us up at three o'clock in the morning. You know about those? You wake up at three o'clock in the morning and that feeling of, of failure and of not said what you wanted to say and having been shamed, those kind of memories. Even those are open at the edges and uh, open to vastness. So then there's a path of liberation. The experience of liberation is intimacy with present circumstance. Sound of traffic, uh, blue sky, warmth. Hearing a word so deeply that everything drops away. When everything drops away, um, you pass through the barrier of the gateless gate as Wu Men expresses it. And he says, uh, the teacher here, by the way, is Chao Cho, who is the, uh, the, the teacher who, when the student asked, does the dog have Buddha nature, uh, Chao Cho said, Mu, which sort of means not, sort of like un, in the sense of undo, untie, uh, that slight negative spin, uh, Mu. Some people just say no, okay, but that's a little absolute for here. Uh, so yes, the, so he, that's who Chao Cho is. Um, with this realization, you pass through the barrier of the gateless gate, as Wu Men expresses it, and you will not only interview Chao Cho intimately, you will walk hand in hand with the ancestral teachers in the successive generations of our lineage. The hair of your eyebrows entangled with yours, seeing with the same eyes, hearing with the same ears. Won't that be joyous? Uh, 
thousands of students have been encouraged by this. And notice that this is intimacy across time here. Uh, this is the intimacy that gathers everything uh, into this pucker of time right now. With genuine realisation and the joy and fulfilment that it brings, the old teachers are experienced as our true contemporaries. This is intimacy across time. Actually, it is intimacy which collapses time. Our true self, normally buried under daily fears, concerns and preoccupations, is set free uh, when past and present intersect. And I'm paraphrasing Proust here because I really don't want to talk about Madeleine's dipped in tea and all of that this afternoon. But um, uh, 3,000 pages on from the Madeleine experience, and it's a wonderful experience to read him, uh, transform your life. Um, but uh, 3,000 pages on from that, he says something like, and I don't have him here today, so I'm going to paraphrase, but it's directly related to the true contemporary point. One minute set, set free. He says one minute. I mean, for most students, one second set free uh, from the order or sequence of time um, has you trusting your joy even though there is no rational foundation for it. This is important, you know. The triggers, the things that trigger realisation are small for the most part. You know, someone sees a pewter mug and there's some light coming through a window and you know, onto the mug. You know, just that. Really simple. You know, Proust or his protagonist dips a, uh, uh, a Madeleine, a little bicky, uh, in, in lime tea and eats it. And very interestingly, you know, uh, he says it's a dull day and I was feeling out of sorts. Okay? It doesn't come out of some kind of very, very, very deep and still condition. It's the ordinary, uh, um, the ordinariness of life, which is the, it comes out of that. So, you know, just dipping uh, a biscuit in lime tea and, and then the memory comes back. And the memory is, it's not just the memory, um, the whole past, he says. And the whole past uh, came arising from my cup of tea. <laughs> It's beautiful, and there's this vast description of his childhood, a combre. Um, it's wonderful stuff. I, I recommend it to you unreservedly. Anyway, one minute set free from the order of time has you trusting your joy, even though there is no rational foundation for it. Outside of time. You are outside of time, is how he puts it. Um, outside of time, the word death has no meaning. And... Uh, why would you fear for the future? Uh, that's the spirit there. Genuine realisation is not limited by the time barrier. Antoinette, my partner, has this great expression. She says, you can't understand the Chinese because there is a time barrier there. Um, it's a fantastic word, um, expression. But, you know, genuine realisation is not limited by the time barrier or indeed by barriers of culture indeed. True realisation transcends time and culture and is by its nature timeless. Uh, people describing realisation experiences talk about it feeling ancient. Uh, this is not everyone's experience but there is something in that word ancient which uh, is very interesting. 
However, there's no need to throw away your watches and no disrespect to linear time is intended. Uh, punctuality, as Zen makes clear, uh, is the courtesy of kings and queens. Being punctual is important. Uh, turning up, indeed, to be more fundamental, is important. That's the spirit of Zen, rocking up. Uh, but within the flux, there is a mystery. So who are your true contemporaries? Thank you. <laughs>